1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: On this episode, Adventures in Time Travel.
2: Maybe this really was happening. Maybe DARPA really did have some research going into what they called quantum tunneling and time warp fields and and wormholes, because certainly these theories have been around for a long time. And we all know that... There's research going on that we're not made privy to, so maybe there's something to it. But then you hear something like, you know, Barack Obama went to Mars, and it just, to me, blows all credibility.
0: Have you subscribed to my free monthly newsletter yet? The Inner Sanctum is jam-packed with news and information, and it's delivered free to your email inbox once a month. All you need to do is register your name and email address at my website, strangeplanet.com. Ca. The Inner Sanctum contains a spotlight on previous guests from my weekly radio program and this podcast. There's my podcast pick of the month, a book club, a This Month in Conspiracy History section, and more. The Inner Sanctum is yours, absolutely free. Again, all you need to do is register at strangeplanet.ca. And once you've registered, your name automatically goes into a monthly draw for great Strange Planet gear from my Strange Planet shop. Register right now at strangeplanet.ca.
1: Here's Richard Serrett.
0: Welcome to your Friday, and I hope you had a blessed Christmas. And some of you are out traveling today, visiting relatives. Yet another Christmas dinner, perhaps, at the in-laws. Wherever you're traveling, please drive carefully. That's one of the great things about Christmas, how we can stretch it out over several days. And I'll be in Kitchener, Ontario, with my side of the family today, my mother and brothers and sisters and the nephews. Well, I've dipped into my vast audio vault for this episode. We're going back to August of 2013. The idea of time travel has tantalized humans for millennia. We can send humans into space, but roaming through time has eluded us. Do the laws of physics demand that we stay forever trapped in the present? In her book, this book is from the future, Marie Jones explores time travel theories and machines of the past, present, and future. Time and the multiverse. Why wormholes, parallel universes, and extra dimensions might allow for time travel. The paranormal aspects of time. Might we already be mentally time traveling? Mysterious time shifts, slips, and warps that people are reporting all over the world. Are we experiencing coexisting timelines? Time travel conspiracy theories. Are we already walking among real time travelers? Has a real time machine already been created? in a top-secret government facility. Marie Jones is a best-selling author, screenwriter, researcher, radio show host, and public speaker. She's the author of uh, This Book is from the Future, which I just mentioned, and a whole whack of other great books. Marie Jones, welcome once again. How are you?
2: I'm good. Good to talk to you.
0: Good to have you on with us once again. I first got really excited about uh, time travel, like a lot of people, you know, reading H.G. Wells, and then I met this gentleman from the University of Connecticut, uh, Professor Mallet, Oh, yes. Who's working on a theoretical uh, time machine and, the, and the, the whole backstory of how his father, who he just idolized and worshipped, the sun, you know, rose and set on his father. And when he passed away suddenly in his 30s, in the 50s, Ronald Mallett was absolutely devastated. And then he retreated into this world of comic books and started reading H.G. Wells, The Time Machine and figured if I can build my own time machine, I'll travel back, I I still get a lump in my throat telling this story, I'll travel back in time to save my father. And here is Ronald Mallett now in his 60s, and he still feels the same way. Now he realizes, because of certain paradoxes, he can't travel back in time to to, to save his father, but he's still, you know, working away on a theoretical time machine. Exactly. Marie, when did you first get interested in the the concept of time travel?
2: Oh, I since childhood. I was one of those kids that liked science and science fiction stories. And, you know, growing up with Star Trek and Star Wars and all the different science fiction movies and TV shows. I mean, it's everywhere. It was in novels and short stories. And I think naturally, we're drawn to trying to control things that we can't control. Space where we're sort of it, over my lifetime, I've seen a lot of real wonderful and amazing progress in space travel. But time is the one thing we haven't been able to really do that with yet. So I think it's a, it's a human fascination to be able to control time. I think we all inherently want to go back and relive some times from our past or try to change things or see into the future, see what we're going to become or, uh, you know, what our families will become or what might happen if the world might end. So I think it's part of our humanity, uh, but it's the one thing, too, that really we have not been able to control yet.
0: I need you to, to help me out with something, Marie, because every time I, I ask a theoretical physicist or an astrophysicist, I ask him this question, I get a different answer. And maybe you had the same experience. Albert Einstein's theory of relativity or special theory of relativity, did it allow or, or forbid time travel back in time.
2: Well, it's sort of ambiguous because it, without us being able to move beyond the limitations of light speed, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, everything that Einstein did and, and everything that he, uh, all of the laws that he discovered hinted at the possibility. Certainly there is uh, the theory of, or not the theory, it's actually a law of time dilation and the fact that When you're traveling as closer to the speed of light, time will slow down. The problem is is that we can't go back into the uh, uh, past or into the future without first breaching the speed of light. And that was one of Einstein's biggest challenges. He died before he could figure it out, and we still... You know, after his death, we still haven't figured out that limitation. But everything that he did, you know, his his work with Nathan Rosen in, into wormholes, which were called Einstein-Rosen bridges, all under the the theory that perhaps these were shortcuts through space and time that could be used. So it's almost like all of the work he did was a part of his desire to see time travel become a reality. You know, he was obsessed, obviously, with space and. Time and space are, are interconnected, so therefore he was obsessed with time. But again, always coming up to that light speed limitation, and he died before he could find a way around it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't scientists today, or maybe in the near future, that will do that.
0: Theoretically, not even theoretically, practically, we have proven that time travel to the future is feasible, and in fact, we've done it with those, you know, that, that experiment with the big two atomic clocks, right?
2: Right. Well, actually, there have been some experiments with photons, with uh, light particles, where they have sent them into the future. Uh, but again, like you said, you know, a nanosecond of a nano, nano of a nanosecond, and certainly this is on a particle level, and, and in no way can it yet be extrapolated to anything bigger than that. But. Um, A lot of these physicists believe that time travel to the future is actually more doable because of the paradoxes of if you go back into the past, how do you, you know, what do you do to the the current timeline? What might you change or how could you change the current timeline? Because if you go back to the past, you're going to affect something. So you have all these paradoxes. Right,
0: the grandfather paradox where you accidentally run over your granddad, therefore your parents aren't born, therefore you're not born.
2: Exactly. So future time travel is actually more, I I don't want to say acceptable, that might not be the right word, but more theoretically doable than traveling back to the past because of all those paradoxes. However... What's really cool, (laughs) we wrote a lot about it in the book, is that there is a way around those paradoxes to travel back in the past. And that would be if you were to introduce the idea of parallel universes or the multiverse theory, the idea that there are other timelines, uh, alternate timelines, where you could go back and you could... Shoot your grandfather and kill him because maybe he's a jerk. <laughs> and in that particular timeline, yes, you would not be born. But in a, in an offshoot, the multiverse theory proposes that every time, uh, there is a decision or choice made, another universe springs forth to accommodate all the other choices and decisions that could have been made. So maybe in timeline A, you're not going to exist, but in timeline B, you will. And and timeline F and G and Z and, you know, on and on. So, but that's all theoretical. So that's like the only way around the paradoxes right now is to think of, well, okay, maybe there's more than one timeline. And we can go back and we can mess up one. And it may mess up this future timeline that we're in now, but it won't in other universes, other dimensions, what have you.
0: Not to be a real stickler, Marie, but would that technically be time travel, or would you simply be jumping to another dimension, you know, a multiverse? You're,
2: (laughs) You're right, because in the timeline that you're in, you're pretty much voiding your own existence. So yes, it is interdimensional. And what's really cool is that these, again, are ideas that have been present in science fiction forever, so what's real interesting is that then you have science, you have physicists catching up and, and actually looking at the paradoxes that were first introduced in a lot of science fiction and saying, okay, these are real, these paradoxes. How do we get around them? How do we get around causality—the idea that cause and effect—if you go back in time and you change one cause, you're going to change a whole series of follow-up cause and effects from that. Um, I don't know if you read the book by Stephen King that came out not too long ago. On JFK? Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh yes, but, sort of the what if type scenarios—if JFK had uh, had lived—is that the—is that the same one we're talking about?
2: No, well, what he does is he tells the story of a a guy who is given the ability to go back in time and stop the assassination. Right. But what he does is just so brilliantly show how these paradoxes come into play and how that you're changing something for the betterment of humanity and end up making it much worse.
0: Marie, you were telling me about uh, Stephen King's JFK, and the scenario is someone travels back in time and saves JFK's life thinking it would be a good idea, but it sets a whole bunch of other things in motion that aren't so good.
2: Right. And the idea also is that, uh, and I won't give away too much, it's just an absolutely amazing book. And and Stephen King actually did a lot of research and worked with a researcher uh, looking at all the different pair Paradoxes and really getting into them, and it's it's such a wonderful education. If you don't feel like reading the more physics nonfiction books, I mean, you could read his book and really get an education on why this is such a problem. Uh, the character in the book, at the same time, tries to make another small change. So, I mean, you know, stopping an assassination is a big change, and obviously, the cause and effect chain that that would create would be massive. But he also uh, makes the point of trying to change something very small and personal. And yet that also creates a chain of cause and effect that, that is disastrous. So the whole idea is, can we go back to the past and fix something without breaking the future? And I thought that was just a wonderful way to look at it. We have no idea. Uh, it, it, you know, the butterfly effect, the very smallest, most minute change that we might make, how that could snowball and create something that we just can't even imagine in the future. So it's really a good wake up call. For the ethics and morality of time travel, which Larry and I talk a lot about in the book too, because it's not something people think about that often.
0: Well, it's also our, a wonderful lesson for just how we conduct our daily lives. If, uh, granted, if you travel back in time, uh, everything you do will have consequences, but that also applies to the here and now. Every, exactly. every, everything you do, uh, will, uh, set in motion an incredible, you know, domino effect for good or bad. And it's up to us. Right. I guess.
2: And why do, why do most people want to go back in time? They want to fix something.
0: Yeah, regret. Regret. Is,
2: don't screw up now and you won't want to go back to the past 10 years from now and fix, you won't have anything to fix. So it really is about regret and bad decisions and not thinking about what you're doing. And yet also realizing how interconnected everything is. And the idea is that you could go back in time and change something in your life. Kiss that girl that you always wanted to kiss in high school or you know catch that ball in little league that you dropped, what have you, what you don 't realize though is how you 're affecting everybody around you whose lives because of those simple things are also going to be changed and that 's where the idea of ethics comes into play do Does anybody have the right to go back in time? and change an interconnected web of timelines that are all working together with cause and effect.
0: It's an excellent point, you know, because when we think of the the, the, the grandfather paradox, that's pretty cut and dried. But what you're saying is everywhere you step, if you travel back in time, everywhere you step, you're creating a, a paradox. It's unavoidable. You, there's nothing you can do but create, a, you know, a paradox or potential uh, problems going forward. So it, it's, a going it's a minefield. It's a minefield.
2: Yeah and not doing anything. You're still changing something. You're you're revisiting the past alone is an act of change.
0: What about mentally traveling back in time? Like remote viewers, for example, uh, who who, uh, believe that they can transcend time and space, but they're not physically... Let's say someone wants to go back and witness the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to see if it actually happened. And there they are. Um uh, but it's from what my you you tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that it it would be like them watching a movie. they're not actually able to manipulate their environment, right. interact with it, so they they would avoid the paradoxes by remote viewing to the past, correct?
2: I don't know, and here's why <laughs> the observer effect kicks in, right? Uh, and, yes. just, and everybody says, oh, okay, well, I just want to go back to the past and I just want to observe. But the act of observation is an act of measurement, and quantum physics tells us that that creates a change. So here again, we have the paradox jumping up at us, even if we just want to go back and watch. Uh, that observer effect comes into play. Just the fact that you're going back into the past and 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 observing something that already happened. Oh, you know, that act alone is going to change the outcome. However, there is something called chronesthesia, And this is called, that's a name for mental time travel. And there's a lot of research going on. This is so fascinating to me because I really believe that we time travel all the time consciously you know, in, the, in our conscious minds and our subconscious and dreams and deja vu and precognition and remote viewing. We are able to go back to the past and forward into the future, not physically, and not in any way where we could really alter anything. It's, it's just more of a perception. Um, but when you physically go back, you're changing something. Your, right. your act of observation is changing something. So remote viewing gets really tricky because are you physically somehow, even though your body's not doing the remote, you know, not going somewhere, you're sending your consciousness. Now, is your consciousness enough to be considered an observer? So that brings that whole idea of the quantum observer effect into play, and could we mess up the past and future just by doing that? I don't know.
0: Uh, Although some people have described remote viewing as, uh, some refer to the Akashic Record, and you're simply maybe, like it's pulling a video off a a library shelf and, 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 and reviewing something that's already taken place.
2: I like that idea because I feel like remote viewing is people tapping into what Larry and I call the grid, the grid of information, the zero-point field, the Akashic Records. There's so many different names that it's gone by. This field of information that contains past, present, and future, all embedded in it. And we're looking, like you said, it's like going through the old card catalog in a library or you're watching a video. So in that sense, and I think that people who are psychic, And uh, when you have an ESP experience, people who um, have precognitive visions or dreams, even deja vu, I think that these are different ways that we are tapping into this field or into this grid and just getting information out of it, but not changing anything.
0: There's another uh, idea, uh, and I think Einstein and some of his colleagues were were touching on this. You mentioned uh, wormholes and and, uh, and black holes and how they may be a, a shortcut. Uh, so that would, in a, in effect, um, uh, do away with the need to uh, a t- obtain um, uh, a light speed. If you can take basically a shortcut from this end of the galaxy to the other uh, by whipping through a, a, a wormhole or or some, something like that. Uh, so, in effect, maybe the entire universe is a time machine, Marie.
2: It could be. You know, wormholes are theoretical. I mean, we know that there are black holes, but. The idea of a wormhole is that you have a black hole at one end, you have sort of a a tube, an invisible tube through time space, that connects to a white hole, which is really just a black hole at another end. It could be another end of our universe, it could be another end in a parallel universe. And there can actually be what are called time wormholes, which connect, say, the past to the present, the present to the future, the future to the past. It's all theoretical, but the idea is that if these exist, and if we can find a way to uh, get around some of the problems, such as keeping the, the the throat of the wormhole open so it doesn't turn you into a piece of spaghetti with that, that gravitational pull and, uh, you know... The idea of sending a person through a wormhole is still science fiction. But again, the idea is, well, what if something can go through, even a particle? Then we know theoretically it might be extrapolated to something bigger later on down the line. But, you know, wormholes are like the multiverse. They're sort of... um, uh, Ways around <laughs> the paradoxes and the problems. So until we can prove, maybe at the Large Hadron Collider, that uh, there are such things as wormholes, you know, it, it remains theoretical.
0: Well, uh, getting back to Professor Mallet for a moment, and, and his, um, my understanding is incredibly rudimentary, but uh, his idea is that if you could stir the time space fabric, uh much the same as you would you would stir a coffee with a stir stick right and you create that little you know that little what would you call that a little whirlpool in there right and then if you were to drop something into that whirlpool that in effect is what you want to create with a time machine right and he's saying that the amount of energy that would be required you know to open up a space large enough for a human to fit in would be i mean beyond 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 our our ability it need require the power of several suns probably but he theorizes that he could at least send a bits of information through a time right. machine, right. and it could act as an early warning device. So, let's say tomorrow there's an earthquake, mm-hmm. we could we could let people know two years, um, you know, back that there's an earthquake coming, and they could prepare.
2: Right, exactly. And that's you know, sending information is sending something on the particulate level. It's not you're not sending anything physical through. And I know you know he had his idea of looped time and. Uh, similar to, uh, did you see the movie contact Carl Sagan? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which when she's in the pod and it drops down into that swirling vortex that's created by those giant circular loops.
0: Like an egg eater.
2: wormhole. So it's really similar to that concept. And that wormhole will literally take you wherever you want to go in the universe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. It's something that I think probably in our lifetimes we will, I'm hoping for Mr. Mallet's sake, we will be able to find a way to send a bit of information, and it or bit of information or a particle. Um, but, wow, I mean, the technology that we would need, you have to move, in order for mass to move through, a wormhole like that i mean you would need some kind of infinite force behind it and so many people i know frank tipler had this idea of cylinders that were infinite in size that that were spinning so quickly that same same idea that it created a vortex and but everything always ends up with infinite in size because that's how much energy you would need to move something like that through we just don't have any kind of technology like that? Now, Michio Kaku thinks there are other civilizations out there that might right. <laughs> alien civilizations far far from the future. Um, but we humans don't. So,
0: well, that, that's interesting because uh, that's one of the theories behind the UFO uh, phenomena is that they are they're time travelers.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was really shocked too to find out that there was a time travel link even to. Um, The Roswell story, that there was a a general who uh, was very high up, who claimed that he had access to to all of the information, the crash wreckage and the aliens themselves, and that they were not only time travelers, interdimensional time travelers, but that they were us from the future. Whoa. we have no proof of that. But.
0: <laughs> well, the, but that, um, I mean, that's the big question. If time travel is possible, people say, well, why aren't there a bunch of time travelers walking around now saying, hey, I'm from the future?
2: Exactly. Well, there are some. But <laughs> do we believe them? <laughs> you know, and that's Stephen Hawking. I mean, that was his big uh, uh, idea that, well, hey, come on, if, if they're here, where are they?
0: Well, uh, and except, nobody
2: could really ever counter that except to say that uh, you know maybe they just did a drive by or they they didn't want to be seen, they didn't want to be observed. They could be here, we don't know it. Maybe we can't see them if they're interdimensional. But yeah, that was his big question. Well,
0: you so, you can't <laughs> travel um you couldn't travel back any further uh, than when the time machine is created and then turned on, right? Right, so exactly. So <laughs> if, I, if I create a time machine tomorrow, then in the future, the farthest people can ever travel back in time would be to August sixth, two 2012.
2: Right, exactly, exactly. So if they want to go to August fifth, they're you know sol.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing going on <laughs> today. <laughs>
2: so, many, so many limitations and blocks, and why don't we just forget it and focus on something else? <laughs> but no, I mean you know this is one of the the quests of humanity to to master time, and we're not going to give up till we do it.
0: Unless we already have, and it's sitting in a, uh, a warehouse somewhere, a government warehouse, locked up in a box. We'll uh, discuss the possibility that maybe we already have devised a time machine. Uh, back with more of my conversation with Marie Jones. This book is from the future, a journey through portals, relativity, wormholes, and other adventures in time travel. Join the adventure.
1: Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance.
0: I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called Carbon 60. I call it the miracle molecule. Now, you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher, Chris Burris, who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of Carbon 60 called ESS60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60Evo.com formula. The formula is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60. The mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning and we're both pain free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of carbon 60. I call it the miracle molecule, ESS60, from c60evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code RS1SPEC. That's RS1SPEC for a special Christmas discount. Buy today at C60EVO.com. That's C60EVO.com. And don't forget the code RS1SPEC. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider.
1: Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, Here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five.
0: Welcome back. Marie Jones is with us. This book is from the future, co-written by her partner, Larry Flaxman. And um, how many books is this for you now, Marie?
2: For me, it's ten.
0: Ten. Wow.
2: Five with This is our fifth book together.
0: 2013, The End of Days or a New Beginning, uh, Super Volcano, the catastrophic event that changed the course of human history. You wrote that one with your dad, right?
2: I did, yeah.
0: Eleven eleven: The Time Prompt Phenomenon, The Trinity Secret, uh, the deja vu enigma well the deja vu enigma that uh, you, we sort of touched on that earlier how deja vu may in fact be sort of uh, a time travel although you know the the skeptics god bless the skeptics and the debunkers they they love to to keep us pinned to the ground they have Thank these you. wonderful romantic uh romantic uh, uh explanations for things well deja vu is because one optical nerve is shorter than the other <laughs> <Thanks>. Yes, <Yeah,
2: laughs> people are lying about deja vu
0: right <laughs> (laughs) But how is Deja Vu a a, a, a time travel experience, do you think?
2: Well, it's more of a possible multiverse or parallel universe experience because the idea is – and yet here I'll explain how it's related to time travel – When people have deja vu, most of the time the sensation that you get is that you exist in two places at once where you're doing the same thing, talking to the same person, saying the same words, you know what words are going to come out of their mouth next. It's like you're having a dual experience or a memory of something that is happening as it happens, which of course is impossible. How can you have a memory of something that's happening as it happens, but that's what it is. Where the idea of time and time travel comes into play is that a lot of people who have deja vu also have what we call add-on experiences. So, for example, some people may have déjà vu when they're in a certain location, and they get a sense that they've been there before. They may get a flashback to a past, uh, you know, past life, or or just a, a vision or a flashback of that location with them in it, but it's a thousand years earlier. Other people may have a déjà vu event and also experience a precognitive. Uh, vision or notion that may come true later. We talked to some people who, uh, actually this is interesting, who had a dream of something and then two, three weeks later had deja vu and right at that time what they dreamt about happened. And in this one particular case, it was a car accident. The person was actually able to avoid getting killed because they had not only had a precognitive dream, but the deja vu sort of served as a wake-up reminder So, deja vu is such a fascinating phenomenon because it's linked to so many other things. You know, the the skeptics have tried to explain it away as a memory glitch, a brain glitch, a one-eye perception before the other, and and none of those have really worked. There's an awful lot of real serious scientific research going on into deja vu because there is the idea that it is some kind of perception of another uh, level of reality, so... It may not involve, it involve any kind of time, but some people do report that it does. I've never had a past life déjà vu. Um, mine are always just feeling like I'm in two places at once, and everything is happening at the same time. But
0: um, back in the, uh, I think it was the '60s, there was a, a book that came out. It's since recently, fairly recently, been translated, but it was. Um, uh, there was a um there was an eccentric priest and he claimed that the the Vatican had a time machine i think his name was father ernetti or something and yeah. it was it was called the chronovisor
2: right yes we have a little thing about it in the book yeah, and, and let me see if I can find it because it's very little information on that, obviously.
0: <laughs> yes, but this, yeah, Father Ernetti, was it now, if I'm remembering correctly, Father Ernetti, uh, claimed that he had devised this, this, uh, this chronovisor device and he could look, you know, he could, he could look back into the depths of time. Um, right. right. But, um, yeah. who, it, nobody
2: ever saw it. You know, that's the problem. We've had people who claim that they were part of, uh, DARPA, you know, yes, there are people that claim that they were part of these experiments, that DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, for Mm -hmm. those who don't know what DARPA stands for. Well, there are a number of people that are out there doing interviews and and events and YouTube videos claiming that they were part of a project uh, involving time travel. Uh, Andrew Bishago. Um, um, Project Pegasus, yeah. Exactly. And there's a number of different experiments that may have been done at different times. One of them involves something called the Montauk chair. Yes. And this was done at Montauk, which many people who have looked into the Philadelphia experiment, uh, these, you know, what we call time travel conspiracies, that this uh, Montauk was uh, in Camp Hero, New York, a location where supposed top secret research was done involving manipulation of the electromagnetic field. But there are also people who claim that they were doing time travel experimentation involving this type of chair that you could sit in, and it would enter a wormhole, and you would go into the future, go into the past. These people were told to gather information or to observe things. I know Andy Perro claimed that he went back to uh, World War II. So there are several gentlemen that we write about, uh, Dr. Dan Burrish, who claimed he worked for the Majestic program, Area 51, where they had Project Looking Glass
0: we were mentioning uh darpa and and uh, some of these other uh programs that allegedly are involved in time travel experiments mm-hmm. and um, the name andrew Bishago came up and, and project pegasus and i i um i've had andrew on the on the on the show a couple of times and i i met with him and uh and spoke to him at length for my tv show when he was living up in uh, the state of washington uh in in vancouver washington anyway seems like a very uh intelligent he's a very likable guy um, and uh, i came away th- you know thinking he's either a great actor uh because he delivers you know th- this scenario with such sincerity and believability or right. he's delusional uh <laughs> Or, I don't know, he's a, he's a, h- a highly trained uh, d- disinformation agent. I don't know what to make of, of the story, except that it's so detailed and so... That's,
2: oh, that's it. The yeah. detail is amazing, and it's repeated. And this is the problem that I have, and I and I, don't, I, and I would never, ever claim to know the truth, because I wasn't there. But I have a real problem with anybody who can remember that much detail, because I can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday. Right. And and I've had this discussion with a number of people that some of these gentlemen will tell the same story. And I'm not saying story that it's fictional. I'm just saying what happened, what they believe happened, uh, with such detail that never changes. And we're talking names, dates, what people were wearing, locations. and, And it never changes. And it's very precise And yet most of us, honest, you know, we can't remember what we did yesterday. And we certainly can't remember what other people were wearing or, and these things happened quite a while ago. So that's one of the things that always comes up when we hear, when we talk about the chrononaut stories. Uh, You know, are they savants? Um, are they disinformation specialists that have photographic memories or did this happen to them? And it's so ingrained. In their being, because it was just so amazing that they remember every detail. Maybe when something like that happens to you, you literally, you know, you're like a sponge. But that's the same problem. I'm so glad you said the word details, because that was the problem that I had. How, how do they remember this so well, Uh it's it's amazing, and, and you know, but then it sort of crosses the line because the whole idea that Barack Obama was one of the chrononauts, a lot of people that <laughs> put that was announced. So it's like maybe there, this really was happening. Maybe DARPA really did have some research going into what they called quantum tunneling and time warp fields and and wormholes, because certainly these theories have been around for a long time, and we all know that. There's research going on that we're not made privy to, so maybe there's something to it. But then you hear something like, you know, Barack Obama went to Mars, and it just, to me, blows all credibility.
0: Well, Um, that sounds like someone who is setting up the straw man argument. So you've got maybe someone who's out there talking about legitimate time travel experiments, and so... Maybe someone from naval intelligence who, who wants to discredit that person creates oh, the straw true. man and says, "Oh, look at this person over here; he's making such ridiculous arguments in favor right. of time travel. How they any must of it be true. Yeah, they're yeah, all crazy."
2: Right, and you just have no idea what to believe, and you know. And these these are people who are genuine and likable, but again, it's that attention to detail that just blows my mind because. I, you know, doing research for these books, I like to think that I can remember a lot of things. I don't remember half of what's in this book without having to go back and look through it. Let alone be able to recite something that happened to me, what, back in the '70s? Uh, forget it. I couldn't do it.
0: But do you think that that uh, a DARPA or whomever is actually experimenting with, I don't know, time dilation or, or something? I mean, you got to figure. Probably. <laughs>
2: I'm sure they are, I, but here's, like I said, there's research going on out at CERN, at the at the Collider, with, with particles and black holes and trying to find parallel universes. But here's a problem that I have. If DARPA or the Department of Defense or anybody else is doing this stuff, I would tend to think that they would be engaging, and who knows, maybe they are, the most brilliant theoretical physicists out there. Now, when you have guys like Brian Green and, and Michio Kaku and Stephen Hawking and, and Lisa Randall, all these brilliant physicists who are still struggling with the theory of time travel, I, I would kind of think that they might be in the loop if there really was time travel research going on. One would but think. If saying it's impossible at this point, then... I would question their education. I don't know. I see a little bit of a disconnect there between the scientists that are that are out there talking about time travel and what the government or military, quote unquote, them might be doing. Um, but who knows?
0: I, I um, recently um, met with two members of the Roadrunners International. This is a, a group um, made up primarily of former military, former CIA, and former defense contractors who have some connection to Area 51 or Groom Lake or whatever they're calling it these days. And some of these people worked on the U-2 spy plane. And Anyway, these two gentlemen could not confirm that they worked in Area 51, but they hinted very strongly that they did. And uh, I was sort of asking them about the whole, you know, uh, uh, what is Area 51 being used for? Are they back-engineering UFO technology? Are they, are they doing alien autopsies and so forth? And they said, what's going on inside Area 51 is far more interesting than that. And I, my jaw, hit the floor. I said, what could possibly what be more interesting than yes, that? Yes, they, they were saying that the stuff that's going on inside Area 51, It's first of all, they assured me it's, it's all man-made. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, extraterrestrials. He right. said, but, but the, the technology there is 50 years beyond what you can even imagine. It's, it, and that's, the security is so tight, they said, if this stuff were to be made known to the public, we wouldn't be able to cope with it. We, we, we wouldn't be able to fathom oh, what's going yeah, on. you there. know,
2: yeah, I'm thinking di- uh, interdimensional, uh, parallel universes, time travel, I mean, those are the mind-blowing things. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard. And I mean, it, it's not hard. I mean, it's one thing to accept that they're aliens because I think we've been bombarded with pop culture and this sort of prepared us for that. Uh, but yeah, if somebody were to say to me, "Hey, guess what? At Area Fifty-One, they've proven that there are sixteen thousand parallel universes, and you exist in eight of them. We saw you." you know? That might right. blow my mind a little. Yeah, <laughs>
0: well, and and they went on to explain that it was the it was the U.S. military that created the whole UFO. Uh, a buzz as a cover story because people would uh, would be so sort of you know hypnotized and preoccupied wow. with that they, their attention would be diverted to what's really going on there, which as they say, is even far more mind blowing which
2: that's gonna, that's going to break a whole lot of hearts though for people that really want there to be aliens and ufo's folks we be like oh you're kidding all you have out there are parallel universes Gee, man
0: <laughs> the great disappointment think,
2: absolutely i mean time travel if we're if the public is interested in it you got to know that the people with the power and the the brains are way ahead of us i can't even imagine what they might be doing that's 50 years ahead of of anything imaginable
0: The the world does seem uh, to remain transfixed with the whole idea. We had Somewhere in Time, which is about 1980, I think that came out. And then I think probably most recently was uh, The Time Traveler's Wife, which came out a couple of years ago, which is actually a pretty good movie.
2: It was. There's one coming out with Bruce Willis called Looper. Um, I think that's coming out in a month or or maybe even less. And uh, what's his name? Joseph Gordon-Levitt who plays a younger version of Bruce Willis. There have been so many time travel movies and books and TV shows. It, obviously, it's an obsession and a fascination that is not going to go away until we figure it out, if we ever do.
0: Paradoxes aside, Marie, if you could travel to the past, where, where would you go? When would you go?
2: I would go back to my early childhood. That's it. Most people say, oh, high school or college. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I would go back to my early childhood, or I would go back to when my son was younger so I could relive his, his years. That's, that's not, <laughs> but I, think I don't that. think I would really want to go back. I, I'm happy with the way it is, and I don't want to mess anything up. I would be afraid.
0: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, the paradox is, yeah, it's a minefield for sure. And the future? Would you be interested in traveling to the future?
2: No. No. I want it to be a surprise unless it was way in the future where it wasn't going to involve me anyway but uh, no i think i want my future to be see my fear would be is that if i knew something was going to happen i would either make it happen when maybe it shouldn't have or not make it happen when it should have so i'd rather not know
0: good answers because you know i think that i think the 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 danger you know wanting to travel to the future preoccupying yourself with the past uh, you know right. people that are that are that are mired in nostalgia is that they're 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 missing out on the ever present now right
2: absolutely and aren't we humans like that we live half our lives worried about the past half our lives worrying about the future we're never in the present moment where we should be
0: exactly and so uh, but let's look ahead to the future what are you working on Marie and what's up next
2: oh my gosh well Larry and I just pitched a couple of ideas to our publisher so we don't really know what we're doing next with that but uh, a lot of promotion for this book speaking at some big events coming up and uh, it's all on our website which is paraexplorers.com always keeping busy
0: Marie always a pleasure thank you
2: thank you always a pleasure as well thank you so much
0: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a moment with a few details on an upcoming episode. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from from a dollar per month to $50 a month. For the month of December, new donors at the $10, $20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from My Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, and donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, Your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash Strange Planet. Thank you, and God bless. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited. What would happen if the American electrical grid went down? I'll explore these questions with F. Michael Malouf, a former senior security policy analyst in the office of the Secretary
1: of Defense. When we have natural disasters, grocery stores, for example, in the urban areas are stocked maybe for three days of food. The shelves are cleared out within hours. And on top of that, in your urban centers, they, because of their dependency on, on life-sustaining, Critical infrastructures such as uh, food and water delivery, your sanitation, what have you. Disease will be a secondary cause. Also, EMP can affect the flow of natural gas and oil through the pipelines because of it have an impact on the automated control systems that we just take for granted. They could get knocked out. As a consequence, you're going to have unexpected explosions and fires. So, the repercussions of the cascading effect of disaster.
0: Until then, I'm Richard Sarah.